television is a lie because you chose to start the camera and you chose to turn the camera off. And then you cut 200 more lies into it in the edit. And that doesn't mean you're being dishonest, but they're still not true because they're edits. And, you know, people don't understand that can air on TV forever. They can watch what, you know, about half the people that would go on Shark Tank would walk out of the hallway and they wouldn't remember it. I had, I had participants where I had to say, you got a deal. Like, what? I made a deal? Yeah, you made a deal, man, because it would black it out. Hello, and welcome to Here in L.A., North Hollywood Edition. Today, we talk to Ben McShane. Ben is a cat dad, a kid dad, a TV producer, and one of the most upbeat, fun people you'll ever meet. He and his family live in a beautiful home in North Hollywood, where he and I talked about why he moved to L.A. from the Midwest, what it was like covering the Michael Jackson trial as a young journalist, and how much fun it was producing BattleBots in Shark Week, uh, Shark Tank. So let's head down the 134 and meet Ben McShane. Hey, everybody. I am in North Hollywood with Ben McShane. Hey! hey. High Register Masculine Voice Squad in formation. And Ben, we know each other from Twitter? Yeah, probably. In, in, in the before times when Google Reader gave everyone their information, I had Busblog uh, hooked up on my Google Reader, and I read it every day. Oh, God bless you. Yeah, my favorite thing about this podcast is actually to see the Busblog characters and hear them talk, because you've like interviewed all of them. <laughs> who, who, who else have I interviewed? Uh, Katie Bain. I listened to that one the other day. Oh, she was great. Oh, Katie's awesome, yeah. Everyone knows Joy Ng. I don't actually know her, but I know right? her for Busblog. Right, right. Uh, I've met Scott Sterling, and we'll talk about it, but, you know, he was, like, adjacent to when I was doing music blogging, so. Yeah. But, uh, and a handful of others, now I can't. Speaking of music, you're wearing a, a beautiful Dinosaur Jr. Uh, t-shirt. You. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever seen that design before. This was, yeah, it's a later one. This was from the year that they did Coachella, probably 2014, 15, something like that. I don't remember them at Coachella. Yeah, it was great. Did the kids like it? I, I, I think so. But you know, I, I look. I've not been since I think 2015. Right. But that was that was the period where there was a public consciousness of Coachella that was very like celebrity woo woo. But there were still packs of like indie rock nerds going to see the bands. Yes. You know, they were still getting like uh, Suede or Pulp or someone to play. So. Okay, so Ben, you were uh, TV Ben for a little while yeah. on Twitter. Because you've worked in TV. For a long time. Now, see, here's the interesting thing about this podcast. I'm trying to dispel the belief that everybody's in the industry in L.A. Right. We're doing a bad job with you. That's okay. <laughs> I am. Give us some of your credits. Uh, what shows have you worked on? Yeah, so I worked on Shark Tank. I worked on BattleBots. Uh, I worked Love on one-season show, Steve Harvey's Thunderdome. <laughs> yep. Steve made me a punching bag for an audience gag between takes. That was I have it on tape. It's amazing. I love it. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And um, I worked at a Legendary Digital under the Nerdist brand for a couple of years. Nerdist did what? That well, that was Chris Hardwick's website originally, right? But then when everyone thought there was going to be a pivot to video because Facebook lied to the world mm -hmm. and millions of dollars of budgets and jobs realigned themselves because they wanted to pump up their numbers, which uh, which by the way isn't Facebook's fault. It's their, it's their, these people's faults. Yeah, sure. So, uh, but no, so uh, Legendary Entertainment, the film company, decided they wanted a digital imprint, and they bought up Nerdist. They bought up Geek and Sundry, which is like a Dungeons and Dragons info website. It's kind of down now. And they bought Amy Poehler's Smart Girls, which was a YouTube channel that did very cool 
like tween girl power stuff. Uh-huh. And then they had this notion that they could create a niche video on demand slash streaming subscription platform. Pay five bucks. Da, 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 da. And it's what, what year was this? 2016 is when it started the end of 2016 and then i think the platform finally closed in early 2019 mm. so they were a little ahead of the game <clears throat> yeah well <laughs> it was very much a vc situation right mm. so they had gotten a bunch of vc money to do this and combined and you know no one knew anything and the great thing was like upstairs was so trying to figure out is this even monetizable that the producers downstairs just like put whatever we wanted on the platform and no one was paying attention it was a dream great yeah it was really cool Okay, so uh, one thing I know from your Twitter, and it's great to be in your house. Thanks for inviting me yeah, here. Yeah, thanks for coming. I'm We're in beautiful share. North Hollywood. You might hear some planes from the nearby Burbank Airport. Is You've got a ton of cats. Nine cats. And there was a video that you showed that I'll put into the blog, if I can find it, or maybe you can send it to me. Sure. Of feeding time here at this house, <laughs> where all the cats are... You've got these like really cool. I was telling my mom they were shelves, but these aren't shelves. These are like oh my god, a weird bridge. Bus blog mom knows who I am. That's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah no. So that I actually I made that. Uh, that's a good excuse to buy a drill press, a Harbor Freight, and those are IKEA bed slats cut into threes. And and so you have this as I want to say a, a twelve foot long. It's about right. Uh, it's like an Indiana Jones rope bridge. Right for the cats to like cruise around near the ceiling. Uh huh. And there's some uh, pedestals over here with some uh, shelving yep. where you've got a beautiful great cat. Who's that? That's Duncan Idaho the second. <laughs> have you read Dune? <clears throat> I have not. All right. So the joke is in the Dune novels over thousands and thousands of years, Duncan Idaho is cloned. Like tens of thousands of years. Oh. So we're always going to have a great cat named Duncan. Yes. That's, that's the joke. Can <clears throat> you name all of your cats? Yeah. So uh, we have Oliver who came with the house. Lucy Goose is an indoor feral that fell in love with Oliver before we moved in, while he was still outside. Duncan came with us from our apartment. He was the first cat we got together. Then we have Captain Jack, who is a domesticated feral tripod. She's missing a leg. Uh, We caught her to have the leg amputated, and the night I was going to trap her originally, she plops down and four kittens came squirreling Oh, my God. So we had to wait. Then we trapped her. We took in the kittens. My wife swore they would be adopted out. They were named Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. Uh, Taylor got adopted out and became Carl. We started calling Soldier Tubby. Uh, and then when Jack had her surgery, the vet was like, no, you can't re-release her. She only has three legs. And we were like, again? And that's why I built the catio, because Captain Jack had to re- recover somewhere. Yes. So then we have Jack, Tinker, Spy, Tubby. And then we also have Baby Bear, who is like a black, fluffy... Gremlin, she's just the dumbest cat. She's an idiot. Just <laughs> totally fucking stupid. I love her. And then we have Bree, who, um, <clears throat> so I, uh, are you familiar with Trap New to Release, Tony? I, I'm sorry, what was that? Are you familiar with Trap New to Release? Uh, or TNR? Trap New to yeah. Release. So, no. real quick biology lesson. Uh-huh. There's wild cats here. There's wild cats here because there's an ecosystem that supports the cats. Yes. If you go around killing cats or capturing them and taking them away... You have not solved for that ecosystem. So it incentivizes breeding, right? Oh. So the trick is to leave the cat level in your community at the same level. So you trap the cats, you take them to the TNR place, they scoop out their uh, their baby-making bits, yep. and then you re-release them. How much do they charge you for the scooping? They don't. Perfect price. Ca- uh, 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 fixed nation in Los Angeles, and they'll train you, and you can even borrow their traps. Oh, train you to trap. Yeah. Not to scoop. No, no, no. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, although honestly, I could figure it out. You can watch any surgery on YouTube, so. I would rather not, thank yeah. you. Uh, but yeah, and so Brie was supposed to be a TNR, and the same night I trapped her, she gave birth to seven kittens. Oh my God. We adopted out six of them. Good. She had eaten the other. No! Yes. Brie! <laughs> she ate Momo. <laughs> Do cats do this? Yes, they do. So if the cat is sick, if they think it won't live, if they just don't like it, and it's funny. Oh, if the kitten is sick. Yeah. We had all these cute videos of Brie sneaking, like picking up this cat and escaping the cage to take her under the office table. We're like, you're so silly. No, put the cat back in. She was trying to bring it somewhere to suffocate it. And so my wife reached into like the the cat bed to take Momo out. And only the head was there. Oh my God. She ate everything else, Tony. TV Ben, this is the grossest episode already, and Woo-hoo. we're seven minutes in. Rotten.com. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, so, um, yeah, uh, and Brie is an office gremlin. She lives in the home office for the most time, but super snuggly. Okay, <clears throat> so you've all these cats. Yep. Your house is spotless. Thank you. Like, do you, like... There's one litter box inside, and then three robot litter boxes, and another plain litter... On the catio. I'm in the right place. Yeah. I just bought a robot uh, litter box. Is it the litter robot? Like, is it like the big dome or is it like It's the a sw- big dome. Yeah. But I don't know if it's that. It's going to change your life. Well, I don't know because I can't, I, I, I need to, I need to play with the app a little bit. Yeah. Because it's not accepting the box down. That's downstairs. annoying. See, we haven't bought the ones with the Wi-Fi. So uh-huh. ours, I just go out and change them. But basically I do litter boxes once a week. That's it. Yeah. For how many cats? Nine. That's the dream. Yeah, and three of them are drawers. So I just pull the thing, take the bag, replace the bag. And then I have one I have to scoop because a couple of the cats will not use the robot box. Okay. Is it, were you a cat lover before all this? No. So <clears throat> um, when I was between jobs, I had – this is in my 20s. I had this uh, girlfriend that I dated multiple times. And honestly, Tony, we just like could not keep our hands off each other. We what? were done, but we could not keep our hands off each other. Right. She was petrified of cats. Uh-huh. So I was like, fuck it, I'm getting a cat, so I stopped making this mistake. So I went to a Sentinel feed store. I was like, give me the ugliest cat no one wants. This is in West L.A.? Uh, that was, yeah, because I was living in Koreatown at the time. Ah, okay. Right, and so uh, they introduced me to this black and white cat who had a broken jaw and crossed eyes. He had lived in Beverly Hills where the neighbors were feeding him oysters. I'm not fucking kidding you. And then he got hit by a car. And they're like, oh, we don't want to keep the cat. And so the jaw healed crooked. And that was Marvin Harrison. I loved him. You're a football fan? Oh, yeah. Big Colts fan. Uh, That was Marvin Harrison. And uh, Marvin we had to put down a few years ago. Uh He, he, He did come with us to this house. Yeah. Uh... Okay, so that cat turned into nine, or did your wife love um, cats? It was a marital decision that I could fight the cat thing and we would still have cats, or I could be like, this is great. Now I get to play with my tools and build a catio. Because your wife came with a whole bunch of cats? No, just like when we found them, she wanted to bring them in. Right. So it was like, I would have left Oliver outside, but he was so sweet. We had, my father-in-law redid all the, um, and I we redid like all the woodwork in here, and we had piles of it on the porch. Uh-huh. Where, what is now the catio, and Oliver would like sleep on the junk pile. Your, is your dad a contractor? Father-in-law. Father-in-law? Uh, used to be. So he, um, Pops is a uh, trained finishing wood carpenter, and what he does is he cuts the knives that they use to run off crown molding and baseboard. Wow. So it's like a very specialized trade. Wow. 
I do see some. I do see both crown molding and baseboards here. Yeah, and we did the kitchen. Uh, all the kitchen cabinets are pops. Wow. Same cabinets he built for Billy Joel. Excuse me? Yeah, because yeah, it's like a it's like a downtown LA, you know, custom cabinet. He does like big ornate fireplaces and stuff. But wait, wait, wait. The piano man has a house in LA. Uh, or maybe he did like 15 years ago. I don't know. They have not changed how they make these like you know press right. board cabinets in wow. 30 years. <laughs> Uh, okay, behind you, yeah. I see a glorious uh, illustration painting of uh, our current president and vice president. Yes. Above that, a smaller picture of the uh-huh. Obamas and their two dogs. Yes. <laughs> you just love these Democratic leaders? Uh, well, I do, but so uh, when uh, the fascist-in-chief took power and took the White House— we had our daughter was like a year and a half, and uh-huh. we were just despondent. And you know, I could I could go on at length about you know things that Obama got wrong or didn't do right. Yeah. But they were a White House family that had children and loved animals. That's right. And he, it's so funny. Like you look at like Ron DeSantis, and he's like, these people do not know how to stand up or sit down or behave like humans. It's really strange. <laughs> well, okay. But point being, so we put that up so our children had something that was like. There Look, you go. Kindness and love can get power too. Excellent lesson. And then I am a hardcore Kamala Harris stan, actually. Biden was like my 16th preference. Why is she getting um, so much negativity? <sighs> well, oh man, do we want to go into this? Uh, so, yeah, you know, that's a good question. My answer is that Kamala Harris announced her, pre- her presidential campaign, and 18,000 people, mostly black, showed up in Oakland for the event. Yeah. And then, you know, a certain neck bearded contingent didn't like that progressivism might also work hand-in-hand with a functioning government. And they dug up some, I would call it disinformation. Maybe it's misinformation. Maybe they were misinformed. I think it was kind of a deliberate smear. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, she's not perfect. No one is. Right. But I think um, you talk about, like, if politics is the art of the possible, right? I'm very interested in what's the maximum possible harm reduction, Mm. Right. Like, uh, I, I, I'm very cynical uh, that, you know, this is a country like, look, our origin story is slavery in the Civil War. That's right. Right. And and so for me, it, the, the, this idea that you're going to get uh, all these poor, racist white people to stand in solidarity with everyone else, they'll never do it. Right. They, they will cut their dicks off before they do it. And so the Kamala Harris, <laughs> Joe Biden, uh, you know, politics of what's possible is very much. My bag. My, my, my dad's family in Indianapolis was very involved in local politics with the Democratic Party. Interesting. So, yeah. Okay. Um, Sorry. Let's, let's, uh, tell me a little bit about your kids. How many kids you got? I got two kids. I got Delaney and TK. My daughter is almost eight. She is a self-identified rainbow goth. <laughs> She's eight years old. Yes. What is a rainbow goth? Well, it's like, you know, she likes spooky gothy shit, but she also likes, rain, you know, rainbow vomiting unicorns. So it's kind of a mix. Actually, you know, like like black pink, yeah, would be like I would call that rainbow goth. Oh, you know, it's it's very glossy and feminine, but yeah. also has a very kind of like you know spooky shredded skirt vibe. I guess. Did you guys as a family watch Black Pink on uh, YouTube? My wife watched it. I actually got my wife tickets for Mother's Day at Dodger Stadium. So you are the hero. Yeah. So her and Delaney are going to go to that, and then I'm going to take the boy, who is almost five, to Monster Jam. Hell yeah. He would like Blackpink, but he's just a little too young. Who's playing at Monster Jam? Oh, no, no. Monster Jam like the Monster Trucks. Oh, at like Anaheim Stadium? Yeah, have you ever been? 
I wanted to. It's fun. It's. I mean, it is exactly what it looks like. It's dirt cheap. Right? Oh, good. Like, you can get in for, like, 20 bucks. Uh-huh. They have these insane pregame things. Like, they do, like, races where, the like, the beat-up Chevys have to pull uh, uh, an abandoned tractor trailer or something, you know, and they're like fishtail. It's really fun. Let's talk a little bit about um, North Hollywood. Yeah. Which is where we're at. I, I was trying to explain North Hollywood to my mom. And I was trying to say that it's a great place for a lot of people who are new to California or new to L.A. to land because it's usually kind of inexpensive here. It's central to a lot of things. It's um, not too deep into the valley. And she was like, it's in the valley? And I was like, yeah. She's like, but it's called Hollywood. Hollywood isn't. I was like, "Don't, don't get fooled by the name. How would you explain North Hollywood? Oh, man, when I go back to Indiana, and they're like, all right, North Hollywood. I'm like, guys, it's it's not. So what I like about North Hollywood is it's very analogous to like a Midwestern first suburb, which yes. now we think of as like the city, right? So that's I grew up in Indianapolis on the, what's called the near north side that for all intents and purposes is the city. But when my grandparents were young adults, it was like the suburb, right? And so what I love about North Hollywood is it's got a really – so if you looked at our old map of the valley, this was like agriculture central, mm. right? And so there's a very old, uh, you know, Latino history here. And then uh, it currently has a large Armenian population. And actually, interestingly, in my daughter's school, we're getting a huge influx of Ukrainian immigrants right now. Oh, I bet. But then you also get a bunch of, you know, spoiled industry kids like me because, like you said, it's affordable. Right. And so uh, you get a really great mix of things. We are in North Hollywood, but... It's really like where we are is almost like culturally Van Nuys. Mm-hmm. This is not like Lancashire Boulevard, Tiki No, kind of North Hollywood. You know, this is like you go up to Sherman Way and there's industrial parks. Uh-huh. Uh, but I had this cool little ranch neighborhood street. So our house was built in 1955. There are nine houses with the exact same floor plan down the street. Oh, wow. All built between like 53 and 56. The only difference is because we're in the larger corner lot, we have this extra office room. <clears throat> But it's cool, and like they've done, they've done um, open houses, and you walk through them, and if you can kind of see, if you can, if the neighbors, the listeners can imagine, we have this like T beam up here. Uh-huh. So traditionally, there's a half wall going between. Some people made it planters, someone made it an aquarium. We oh. knocked it out, but it's cool because like you know they've all. It's real, like, if you ever watch Mad Men when, like, Don Draper goes out to California. Yeah. This is, like, that post-war wealth California dream kind of home. Yes. Old bones. And, and I see these beautiful rose bushes, both pink yeah. and yellow roses. Uh-huh. Who's the gardener? Ma, my mother-in-law, my win. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> so that's funny that you mentioned that. Uh, you know, um, my, my mother-in-law basically, when we bought the house, just started planting things. There's no discussion about, like, you know, <laughs> would you like this here? <laughs> So I, I have these giant agave that I've been digging out by myself that, you know, take days to remove. Yeah. Um, we have roses. I grow dragon fruit up in the front. I think you saw the dragon fruit cactus. Yeah. I have passion fruit. I have an orange tree, a lemon tree. And do you know what longin is? Longin is like tiny lychee fruit. So if oh. you've seen like the Asian lychee fruit, but it's more like, like the size of a nickel. Right. And it's absolutely delicious. You also had a, uh, uh, a man, an old man who was uh, – I, I don't know if he was threatening me, 
<laughs> this fella is interesting. <laughs> this guy, obviously retiree. All yeah. he does is walk in circles all day. Uh, and what he does, Tony, is he stops at our rosemary bush, and he'll break off a branch and rub it up and down, down his arms like it puts the lotion on the skin. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I don't know why he does this. Yeah. It definitely feels creepy. He right. seems polite. Uh, but yeah, no, and it's cool. Yeah, he, he, I think he told me, that's mine. And he was pointing at my car. <laughs> and I was like, well, it needs new tires. <laughs> you know, so um, <laughs> some of the owners of these homes down on the street are like the second owners. Mm-hmm. Like like the people who've lived on the street have lived here a long time. Yeah. And I think he's one of those families. And, and do people get along in this neighborhood? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, the flip side is we are one block away from the uh, the borderline between MS-13 and the Logos. Oh, so in which do you rep? Uh, <laughs> uh, no, but so Valley Plaza Park, which is three doors down, uh-huh. is where like three years ago, I don't even remember, MS-13 just like butchered a homeless guy. Oh, I didn't know yeah. about this. But it's funny because like I, you can track it because you can see the tagging at the park swing back and forth. Mm. Right. So, you know, like anywhere in Los Angeles, you know, there, there's that, but... The neighborhood's cool. There's a really cool park down the street, and you go down there, and there's like five languages being spoken. And um, yeah, I, I love it. I love the valley. Where do you do your grocery shopping? Uh, okay, so uh, we are Costco family. Is there a Costco nearby? I'm equidistant from Van Nuys and Burbank, so it depends on what other errands I'm running that day. And then we, we go down to uh, Smart and Final Yep. On, on Laurel Canyon for things like cereal because, you know, Costco options are limited. What cereal do the kids eat if you're eating all the adult cereal? Uh, Cheerios. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay, let's, even though, oh, and here's a, is this Indiana? That is. It is. Yeah. You've got Indiana, uh, what do you call these? Coasters. Coasters. Yeah, well, if you're from Indiana and you live in Los Angeles, all your family members just want you to never forget Indiana. (laughs) And, like, the kids get like, I love Indiana t-shirts. And, you know. Okay, now... Part of this uh, podcast is to dispel the room, uh, to dispel the myths yeah. of L.A. That one of them is is everybody's in the movie or TV industry. Sure, you actually are. Yep. Uh, you uh, you mentioned that your credits include uh, BattleBots and Shark Tank. What'd you do for those shows? Well, um, can I actually go backward? Yeah. For a yeah. So I moved out in two thousand five. Uh, I'm. Of that age. I don't know if you've noticed this, Tony, but I happen to be a white guy. Uh, <laughs> no. Then you're off the show. You know, I'm, I'm a cliche. I read Rebel Without a Crew by Robert Rodriguez. I read the Lloyd Kaufman book about trauma. I read Stephen King's on writing. I read the two William Goldman books. And so obviously my friends and I packed out here. We figured by 25 we'd be directing X-Men movies or something. Hell yeah. Uh, and so I was going to come out. Actually, if I can go back even. What about the cat and the typewriter? Oh, Save the Cat. I've read Save the Cat. It's yeah. cute. Uh, but no, so um, <clears throat> I had, I was very involved from my freshman year of college in the local improv troupe, which sounds silly, but in Muncie, Indiana, there's nothing else to do. And we would sell out like the 450 person auditorium regularly. Right on. And then improv drama happened. Uh-huh. And I was like, was I tossed out or did I quit? Hard to say. Did you enjoy being the uh, talent? Oh, there's nothing I love more than hearing my own voice and seeing myself on screen. Absolutely. Where's your podcast then? <laughs> I don't know. I uh, that's a good question. No. So, um, but basically, I was very depressed, and my friend Dave was like, "Hey, come hold boom mic in my short film." Nice. This is my junior year. Yeah. And that's how I got into that. And so we were ready to come out, and um, so 
I grew up, both my parents were alcoholic. And my dad, they both cleaned up by the time they were five, but my dad had fallen back off the wagon in high school. And right before I was like thinking about moving out, I got a call. I'll never forget. I was standing at the Borders Bookstore at Clearwater in Indianapolis. And my dad's like, Ben, I checked myself into the hospital. Find me a book in a bag. Or no, he said, like, pack me some underwear and shorts, a toothbrush, and try to sneak some books in the bag. <laughs> sneak? They didn't want people no, reading? No, those rehab, some of those rehab facilities are real interesting. Like, you are you go there to clean toilets. and Oh. It's kind of it's kind of like they bring you down to, like, a very low level. Right. Yeah. Not Not in, like, a negative way, but, like... You start at the beginning and you build yourself back up. They, they want you to hit rock bottom. Yeah. And so if my sister was the one who, like, avoided dad because he had a drinking problem, I was the one that felt responsible and had to care for him. So I'd had this girlfriend that I had told, you know, we got to be done in the summer. And then I was like, no, I'm staying. Maybe I'll go to uh, IUPUI. Maybe I'll learn about video games. And then two months later, I was like, fuck Indiana. I'm going to California. <laughs> and drove out to Ohio. It was like taking old yeller out to the back. I was like, hey... I'm gonna go. Oh well, you know, the long, three more years of Ball State, and I can come out. I was like, no, I, I don't think that's what I'm saying. And it was raining when I left and dropped her off, and she went crying to her dad. It was a whole thing. Anyway, um, so I came out to LA with my friends. Uh-huh. Uh, 2005, we got new construction apartment on Wilcox, just north of Melrose. Uh huh. Three bedrooms, two thousand dollars a month. Woohoo! We split it five ways. So I was making. <laughs> Well, and I had no job. I had five grand. Uh-huh. I did my, like, the next week, I got one of those jobs for Environment California, which is those people used to come up to you and say, hey, do you have a moment for the environment? Yes. And then there was a whole class action lawsuit about them. Oh. I'm terrible at sales, and they fired me after three days. <laughs> so I reached out to the few Ball State people I knew out here, and one of them was a production coordinator at Entertainment Tonight, and she's like, hey, we're launching a new show. Come be a PA. So I was a production assistant at the near launch of The Insider with Pat O'Brien. How about that? Yeah. Which lot was that at? Uh, Paramount. Oh, Down cool. the street. I, I, I could have walked to work if I didn't have to drive to pick up donuts and groceries and run errands. Wow. And so we made an hour of television before noon every day. Entertainment, entertainment Tonight and The Insider. And there's three feeds, okay, Tony? So the noon version goes out to like Muncie, Indiana, Armpit, Alabama, all the small markets. Uh-huh. The one o'clock, and then we clean it up. We update the news. You know, so the first version, like, okay, the only red carpet I could find of Brad Pitt was from five years ago, and that's the one they're using. Yeah. But then, you know, someone screams at me, is like, he was at fucking whatever fight club, or, you know, go get the other thing. And so then that's in the one o'clock, and then there's a 2.30 version that was really LA and New York that was a basically, like, haha, Access Hollywood, look how pretty we are. Right. Do you know the story of Access Hollywood? No. Rewind. Okay, real quick. Uh, Entertainment Tonight is the only news magazine that matters. And then Linda Bell... Mary, Blue- Mary Hart's Mary Hart. Beautiful Legs? Yes. And the executive producer, Linda Bell Blue, her like number two left to form Access Hollywood and poached a bunch of people. Oh. So when she launched The Insider, which was supposed to be like DVD extras for Hollywood, it yeah. ended up just being tabloid trash. Right. She not only took her producers back, she took Pat O'Brien from Access... Mm. And I'm telling you, man, when I got there, like the first day, they're like, you, when you're at work and there's other outlets, you don't fucking talk to Access Hollywood. Oh. They're slime. We don't interact with them. Oh. Go work for them if you want to. But this, like, it was hardcore. You Huge know? rivalry. It was, it was Crips and Bloods from the red carpet. <laughs> so um, anyway, so I was in the tape vault. And so basically what happened is Entertainment Tonight had like the largest Betamax library huh. of red carpet footage going back to the 80s. And so we would do a story and it was my job to go look up on the computer Right, it was a four by three screen, 
uh, go across the street to the tape vault to find out the tapes were missing. Go upstairs to the Entertainment Tonight editors who are like, you're a new show and I've been working here for 15 years. Fuck off, you're not getting my tape. So now I would go back to my producer and be like, they were mean to me. And they were like, fuck you, go get it. So then I would be like, hey, I brought you a Coke. And then while they were looking, I would just snack it out of their bin and run across the street. <laughs> anyway, uh, I almost killed Dr. Phil's dog. He was walking it. I wish you had. I do too. <laughs> uh, no, but it was really cool. It was a really great experience because, I mean, when you make an hour of television before noon, you don't have time to argue about how other people are doing their job. They right. don't have time to tell you how to do your job. Just yeah. go figure it out. And uh, we but, would, but also you got to see Hollywood as it so, truly is. Oh, dude! So I, I started the Insider, and like the third day, they're like, "Hey, we need a PA. Go to the Aviator premiere." Ooh. And you know, I'd only been out in LA for like two, two, two weeks or something, and then. Like, there's Martin Scorsese. I'm looking down at him. And then I can't talk for an hour because Kate Beckinsale has watched out. And I tell you, Kate Beckinsale, the aviator, I'll never forget, is the most stunning alien creature I have ever seen. Was this at uh, Chinese? It was. Uh huh. And then, you know, I got to go to, like, the after party because, like, hey, kid, you're done. You know, wow. we, don't, we don't need to satellite feed these tapes. We don't need to run them back. Go hang out. <gasps> yeah, and, like, John C. Riley like, bumped into me. And, you know, I'm, like, a 22-year-old idiot. This is the coolest thing that ever happened. Yes. <laughs> And so I'm at ET, and then uh, I'd been there for a while, seven dollars an hour. Okay, we, dude. So the tape vault would come in between five and six thirty. Uh-huh. It was staggered. We would get out. We would huff it to Barney's Beanery, close the bar at two. Which Barney's is this? We ho. Okay. We so we would close Barney's, go home and sleep for like two hours, come back and go look for Brangelina videos, explicitly still drunk. Where would you look for these at? In, in the in the tape vault. I'm just uh-huh. saying, like the the PAs. It was like it was like rock and roll, man. It was yeah. stupid. I can't believe like I can't believe we got away with it. Right. Um, but anyway, so then um, the news guy at the news desk was really cool. Well, well hold on though. Yeah, sure. Two, uh, 2006, 2007. Yeah, I know this era era very well uh-huh. because I was uh, doing LAS then. That's right. And so I was reading. This, this is the era of Paris Hilton, Lindsay yes. Lohan. Uh, who was the third one? Who was uh, a little bit Brittany? Mm-hmm. Brittany was a bit of a mess. Yeah. So was 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 that always in your rotation no. at the Insider? Oh, at, got... the, at the Insider, yeah, almost right away because very quickly we found out, like, oh, we want ratings. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So then it became like the Insider will do the stories that ET doesn't want to soil itself with. Right. But it was the same news desk. Right. One news desk. Filtering down to two shows. Which is, is, is it CBS? Uh, it was at the time, yeah. Okay. Like Les Moodvez came in once. And and CBS, the Tiffany Network, didn't care that they had this, like, trash gossip show? Well, so, you know, it was interesting, because after, later when I got promoted, I was the assistant to two producers. One, we did all the music stories, and the other was assigned to two of the movie studios. And that's a really interesting question, because what people don't realize is there's a lot of horse trading involved. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, sure, you can have Tom Cruise for Mission Impossible, but you're going to make it a minute 30 in the A block. And even though your viewers don't care, you're going to run a story on Fast and Furious 2. At least 45 seconds. It can be in the C block. And that's how we would do the trade, right? And they wanted Fast and Furious because that was the same production company? And, well, as, that's as a bad Mission example Impossible? because I guess Mission Impossible wasn't universal. But, but yeah. But, but the example yeah, is... They would like, you want, you want the dessert? Well, you're going to run something that's not good for your show, but we need promo. Right. 
And then what would happen is those like like things that they didn't want to do, but we had we were obligated to do. Yeah. Then the assistants would write the junket questions, and sometimes we would even conduct the junkets. Oh. Or like for example, Fast Furious Two, they did a whole event in Long Beach, like a drift racing thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Et doesn't give a fuck about drift racing. Right. But they want to scratch the back of the publicist, so they sent me. <laughs> Et didn't care because uh, their demo was more women. Correct. Okay. Uh, did you ever do any of these junkets? Yes, I did. My very first junket was accepted. Do you remember accepted? The uh, college Jace, movie, Jason, uh, Justin Long, Justin Long. Yeah. So my very first junket interview is Lewis Black. And I am Fun. like, yeah, but I'm like so nervous. I'm going to screw this up. Well, and, cause he's kind of a, a weirdo yeah. and he clocked it and he dropped the shtick. I was like, Hey, really? Kid. He's like, Hey kid, just, just ask your questions. I'll give you the answers. That's cool. And then, you know, I met Jonah Hill when he was like the guy in the hot dog suit and him <laughs> and Justin Long. And I think Michael Sarah were like sharing a house in Venice. Wow. And they were like my age. Yeah. Like, dude, like, it's so cool. Like, yeah, man, like we're just living at the beach and trying to make our lives. And then, uh, the was, bri- was Michael Sarah like, I think so. Was he a cool guy though? I don't know. He wasn't in that movie. Oh, okay. I'm just saying, like, it was like a gang of those guys. Right. And then the director of Accepted was the writer of High Fidelity, oh. which was like my favorite movie. And I went up to was like, dude, let me shake your hand. I just want to tell you how much I love this movie. And he's a germaphobe, and I like totally like pissed oh, him no. off. Oh no! Good lesson. Don't touch the talent. Right. Uh, but anyway, are writers talent? If they're on camera doing a junket, they are. Okay, fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but, but it was but cool. Isn't that? I mean, okay. I love High Fidelity, too. Yeah, it's a great film. Absolutely. But why the writer? Well, there they would pair with the director. Movie. Yeah, but you know why? Because the writer and director want to do it. So okay. they let them go to the junket. Right. And like E.T. But like Cusack didn't want to be there? Uh, Jack Black would Well, this wasn't for High Fidelity. It was for Accepted. Oh, I see what you're but saying. But I'm just saying, like, you know, you get the stars, and then, oh, you're going to interview the writer and director, and you ask questions. And, okay. You know, maybe IGN.com cares or something. But Right. Um. So you got to be the guy on the other side of the, the yeah. camera. And then asking the questions. Can I tell you when my spirit broke on celebrity stuff? Oh, please. Okay, so um, my boss, Clay Smith, uh, was had been at Entertainment Tonight originally since like the second year, uh-huh. and then he had gone to Access, and he was the music guy. Madonna, Lionel Richie, da-da-da. And so uh, we had Brian Wilson. Brian Wilson's going to come in. He's going to talk to Pat O'Brien. He's going to talk about the drugs. He's going to talk about his brother dying. He's going to talk about the guru. He's going to lay it all out. Yeah. And this was like years in the making for Clay to get this. Uh, 2006, 2007, we're still talking? Just to be um, either late 2006 or maybe early 2007. Okay. So uh, his handler, you know, Brian did drugs, a lot of them. Yep. He requires a handler. Yep. If you take my meaning. And his handler was very good at being very mean. And she'd call and she's like, now you fucking listen. This fucking limo driver's going to drop him off and you better fucking be there because Brian can't, I'm not going with him. And he's not going to find you. So fucking be there. 10 fucking a.m. Click. And so I'm sitting there at 10 a.m., not getting a buzz from the gate. By the way, this is Hollywood. Yeah. This is real Hollywood. And Muncie and Indiana don't know nothing about this Hollywood. No. And I wasn't angry. It was just like, oh, okay. So 10 o'clock comes, no buzz at the gate. Oh, God. 10.05, no buzz at the gate. And I'm sitting here like, hi. My phone rings. Where the fuck are you? He's been there like 25 fucking five minutes. Well, the limo driver dropped him off the loading door. Oh, 
And so I go running, looking for Brian Wilson, who was lost in the Paramount a lot. And, um, you know, <laughs> he has reverted to his most primal instincts and has found food. And I find him. I'll never forget this. He's standing there looking at the ceiling, and he has three red vines hanging out of his mouth. And he, he looks down and he's like, oh, hi, are you ready to do your interview? And I'm like, well, Mr. Wilson, I, your friend Pat O'Brien's doing the interview. It's not me. And he's like, oh, okay. And, and so you would think he's like a space cadet, right, Tony? And he, we sit him down, and he, I'm just like, oh, God, this is going to be a disaster. Yeah. The second the red light on the camera comes on, he comes alive. Wow. And the Brian Wilson that was always there is back. And I'm sure it's the same in the studio. Wow. Right? It's like whatever person was lost and whatever happened, he knew everything. And the interview's amazing. This shit is blockbuster for your music fans. I mean, I have pet sounds on my wall. Of course. And we had promised, like, three days in the A block. And then that night, Anna Nicole Smith died. Ugh. And our bosses were like, yeah, I know you made that promise, but we're just going to torch your decades-long relationship because Anna Nicole Smith died. Well, and they've got to understand that, right? Yeah, maybe, but it was just one of those things. Was like, okay, I knew you we were like in the celebrity shit, but I was doing some cool music stuff. I was writing movie junkets. And this where I was like, I cannot do the celebrity thing. So uh, I got out of E.T. Well, how, how about <sighs> stop oh. making promises to people? Because you never know. That's true. Uh, I miss I missed the biggest part, though. Before that had happened. Yeah. Uh, when I was still PA, uh, I'm hanging around the news desk, and they're like, oh, shit, Michael Jackson's trial is going on. And we just got some bad news for news outlets. The city of San Maria had never had a mega trial before, anything like this. They had no infrastructure for this. So they hired a media coordinator, and he did a very smart thing. He said, here's the deal. If you want to cover the Michael Jackson trial, you can get credentialed, but you will cover the trial every day. You need to be present every day. Because what they didn't want is a thousand outlets descending on Macaulay Culkin Day. Right. So my job was to attend the trial every day for and Entertainment Tonight as a PA. Okay, so you're still living on Melrose. Yeah, yes. Santa Maria, how long of a drive is that? Like two and a half, three hours. Every day? <laughs> so Did they put you up up there? Not at first. Ah. So at first, so they're sending me there every day. I mean, my job is literally to seat warm in the courtroom. I was as far away from Michael Jackson every day for the whole trial as I am from you right now. Which is close. Very close. And uh, really? I was driving. Okay, hold on a second, yeah. Ben. Yeah. How was his makeup? Uh, it was hard to say because his hair was so brushed in front of his face, but it, it looked like a Steve Winston creation, to be honest. I, I, who's Steve Winston? Oh, like one of the most famous Hollywood makeup guys, like effects guys. It looked it looked like a face had been applied to his face. So it looked weird. It did, for sure. Um, oh, are yeah. you a Michael Jackson fan? I am a Michael Jackson fan. Were you before? Uh, like, Thriller was my first record when I was three. How about that? So were you kind of freaking out a little bit? That yeah, well, and close? also my dad, my dad was a criminal defense attorney, uh -huh. and he was the kind of dad that like, talked about work at the table. So I was interested How in fun. this stuff. Yeah. yeah. Like, I like courtrooms. It's right. fun for me. Did you think that it was probable that he had that he was guilty not at that time but you know it was a very different time I, th I think there's been a lot more testimony about why why did you feel that way back then i just think there was a skepticism towards any like there was a built-in skepticism towards any kind of allegation about everything i think at the time people had this notion that individuals should have the same standard of a court Yes. Right. And that like, well, I haven't seen the evidence and obviously they're out to get, I mean, did you see the leave me alone video? He told you they're coming after him. Uh, and no, no, not, not initially I didn't. And, um, now, now he had, he has settled with some of these, uh, 
yes. alleged victims. But lots of people, I mean, like, prosecutors make people settle by going to prison when they didn't do anything wrong just to avoid the risk, right? Like, what's a settlement? You know, that's a good, that's a good, uh, uh, I don't want to say excuse, but that's a good reply to that. Because sometimes if you are Michael Jackson about to go on tour and somebody says something crazy and you have a gazillion dollars, just give them a little bit and, and go back to work, right? Are you familiar with expected value? Do you play poker? I do not. Okay, so expected value is a metric that is a function between how much you stand to gain, how much you stand to lose, and what it costs to play. Okay. Right, so if you stand to gain very little and you stand to lose a lot and it's a big bet, that's a bad expected value. Right. Right. You can think about anything like this. So the expected value of settling is almost always correct, whether it's a prosecutor and a criminal charge or it's a settlement versus like a very real allegation. Because it just goes away and we don't even remember these, <laughs> yeah. these people that they settled with. Yes. We only remember the people that they went to trial with. Yeah. So, but the Jackson trial was really interesting because what I got to see is, well, okay, so Judge Melville liked to golf every day. So <laughs> court ended at 2.30. Okay. So E.T. would have me drive up. I'd leave at 4.30 in the morning. I'd be home for dinner, and I'd do it again. And they weren't paying my mileage. What? And then when the news desk guy found out, he went upstairs and chewed them out. Good. And and I got the back pay, and they put me in the worst motel. Like, meth dudes were banging on the door because they thought it was their room. You know, like, (laughs) it was bad. But it was great. You know, I was 23. I didn't care. Right. Uh, I was attending Michael Jackson trial with, like, major media figures. Yeah. And so I would go into the trial. I took copious notes. I have a box of notes somewhere. And then I would watch the coverage, and it was fascinating to see what was different. Yeah. Right? And so the first thing I would say is, you know, at that time, Nancy Grace was on, and Nancy Grace was driving the coverage. Remember Nancy Grace? Oh, oh my God. You know what I mean? Was she Nancy Grace I mean, if, of, if, of, 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 of today, back then? Yeah, and she wasn't a, she didn't go. She had Diane Diamond attending for her. Ugh. And I mean, this was like, 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 you know, if you wanted like an hour-long true crime Karen TV show is Nancy Grace. That's right. Let me speak to the manager about this thing that I know nothing about. Exactly. And, and, and so, um, but basically, you know, Diane Dallyman would not report the reasonable doubt. Oh. Right. She would report what the prosecutor asserted. Yes. And Michael's attorney, Thomas Mesereau, is like an was like an Oxford boxer. He has this huge silver mane, the most charismatic guy you'll ever meet. Uh-huh. Uh, and there's tons of reasonable doubt, Tony. And what I would tell you about the Michael Jackson trial is that um, when you have the power and money of Michael Jackson, yep. and if kids don't listening don't know this, after world leaders, he was the most powerful person in the world. Sure. There were three generations for various reasons. Like, he was the soundtrack. He invented the Super Bowl halftime show, right? And so um, when you have that kind of gravity well of power, it distorts everything yeah everything nobody knows michael jackson in this time that isn't a compromised witness by virtue of having been in the presence of his power now and so if you were his handlers obviously you had an interest uh uh blanca francia the maid said that she saw jimmy safe chuck molested well she took 20k to get that story she may have taken 20k to tell the truth but you can't know right Right. Right. These kids were proven scammers. So did, did the maid said that it happened, but she admitted that she never saw it? Well, no, no, no. She said she saw it, but she said it to the National Enquirer. They gave her 20 large. Right. Right. And so... How should she have done it? I, well, I, I don't... I, mean, I, I think she should have taken the 20K. I'm not <laughs> you would have. I'm not making an ethical argument about it. Right. But what I'm saying is there's a compromise there, right? But, but do you believe her? 
Uh, Blanca Francia, so that's interesting. Uh, the Leaving Neverland guys, Jimmy Safechuck and um, Wade Robeson. What I will tell you is their testimony that he did not abuse them in the courtroom, and for that one I was in the actual room, seemed very credible at the time. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm operating on 15-year-old memory here. Right. It was hard for me to watch the show and be like, I, now I know these guys are telling the truth. Right. Because they were, Wade in particular was emphatic. But again, everything in the Jackson trial was like, I could tell you the story of Wade who uh, sold the story because he needed attention again. I could tell you the story of Wade who still as a victim was in love with Michael Jackson and took the bullet on the stand and then goes on HBO because he finally doesn't want to be in love with Michael Jackson anymore and he wants to know. That's very compelling to me. Yeah. So I'm on the fence about those guys. The interesting one is the 93 case, Jordy Chandler, um, because again, compromise. His dad blackmailed Michael Jackson, said, get my screenplay sold or I'm going to tell everybody. His mother accepted a diamond necklace. And the story of Jordy Chandler is they're on tour with him and Michael wants Jordy to sleep in the room. And, uh, uh, June Chandler is like, no, I don't think so, Michael. And he bullies her and she acquiesces. And that's allegedly the night it first happened. What we don't, and Jordy doesn't talk to mom anymore. He moved to like Germany or something. So does he not talk to mom because she sold him down the river to Michael Jackson? Right. Or does she not talk to mom because she launched a, a civil complaint that was unfactual? I can't tell you. Nobody knows because yeah. the gravity well of Michael Jackson is so powerful. The jurors, the media, no one can know except the people that were there. Mm-hmm. And a court system built on reasonable doubt is not built to manage that gravity well. Right. Right. And so reasonable doubt is it's it's the it's the get out of jail card, right? Yeah. I mean, what I would tell you is the jury reached the correct verdict and the that the mother and the accusing boys were proven a half dozen way to be liars on the stand. That does not mean Michael Jackson did not abuse Gavin Arvizo. But here's yeah. the other crazy thing. Real quick, I'm sorry. I know you probably want to move on. No, this is great. Um, so the timeline that the prosecutor asserted is that uh, Gavin Arvizo has cancer. Okay. Chris Tucker goes to visit him. The kid's like, I got one wish, Mr. Tucker. And he's like, what is it, kid? Anything you want. <laughs> and, and he's like, I want to meet Michael Jackson. What do you know? Chris Tucker knows Michael Jackson. That's right. I can do that for you, kid. He introduces him. The kid goes to Neverland when Martin Bashir films the Leaving Neverland documentary. Yep. The documentary intimates that Michael it, it has a sexual relationship with these boys. Yeah. The story, the documentary airs. Everyone is panicking. Everyone, Michael starts doing a PR thing about how this is not bad. And then the molestation happens. The prosecution says that when everyone is looking at Michael Jackson is the day he decides to do it. It could be, but that's a tough sell. Yeah. And you can't send someone to prison on that. You just can't. Yeah. And the truth is, you know, I think Michael Jackson probably had sexual relations with children, which is rape. Uh, but I couldn't, I couldn't as the jury make that call based on the the evidence provided. What happened the uh, Macaulay Culkin day? He was very boring. Uh, oh. <laughs> it was great. So, yeah, so it's funny. Boring because uh, he always said <laughs> Michael never did anything to him. Yeah. And, and you know... Um, did f- Macaulay really write on the wall, thanks for not molesting me? <laughs> I, I don't remember that. Do you remember, did, have you heard this before? No, I haven't heard that one. Oh, okay. Uh, I tell you, the, the crazy day was Chris Tucker, because the, the prosecutor, Tom Snedden, if you can imagine, like the typical Fox News viewer, that's Tom Snedden, he could not understand Chris Tucker's accent. <laughs> and I really remember, he's like, so how would you describe Gavin when you met him? He's like, 
he, he was cunning. He was cunning. And he didn't understand he was saying cunning. Yeah. And he made him say it like 20 times. And poor fucking Chris Tucker was just like, could not believe he was dragged to this courtroom <laughs> to have this like racist encounter with this old man. But you know, these kids stole George Lopez's wallet out of his home. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Because uh, it was from the same comedy factory thing, right? And then the big thing was the mother alleged that they weren't allowed to know what time it was, right? Because they were being held captive. Uh. And on cross, they asked the boy, it's like, so what, what would you do? And Gavin's like, oh, we'd like ride the golf carts. Why would you ride the golf carts? Oh, you know, to the telescope. That's cool. What's, what's at the telescope? Oh, you know, we'd look at the flower clock. And he throws his hand on his mouth because he let slip. There was a, a clock. clock. Now, again, he, it might be that he was abused and his mother said, sell this kidnapping story. Yes. But she had trained them. There, there was an incident where they, she trained them to fake an assault by a Coles security officer mm. so she could sue. Right. And again, that's the perfect victim. Anyway. And, and it also sounds like this is the type of people you don't settle with. No. Uh, and, and so again, like, what wasn't reported and with the disservice of the media was that they didn't report how much reasonable doubt was laid out. So the public was shocked when the not guilty verdict came. Well, but, but they weren't the only journalists there. No, but it was, he was all, it was like, it was still the narrative on most things. Uh, it was the most watched, uh, I don't know about that. Versions of it, the... it was like CNN and Nancy Grace and Fox. And by the way, I have nothing nice to say about Fox News, but there was a writer named Roger Friedman who wrote for the Fox website. Roger wrote the best coverage of anybody, and he continued to write because you talk about the gravity well power, the power of the gravity well and the reality distorting thing. The most interesting thing about Michael Jackson is the Beatles catalog, the My Jack catalog. And the My Jack? F- My Jack was the, the name of the catalog of his music. Oh, okay. Okay leveraged against a major loan for Fortress that was coming due. This is Donald Trump Deutsche Bank, almost exactly the same thing. Mm. No one has done the documentary on this because the financial strain that Michael Jackson was under when these accusers came forward was immense. And I can't remember all the specifics. but Financial strain because he buys... Too much crap? No, yeah, yeah, exactly. So he had had this huge music catalog that he had leveraged to get like a $40 million loan from Fortress. Yeah. And he had no stream of income. And that's why he was doing the Is This It tour. He had to make money. Mm. You know? He he wasn't getting money off of his catalog? I'm sure he was, but he was also closing down um, Toys R Us to go on shopping sprees. And he lived in a theme park. <laughs> An actual theme park. It needed like seventeen people to keep Neverland running, or something, you know. Really, but yeah. So it was. He did, so, so are you saying that he didn't want to go on tour, but no. he had to? No, no. I mean, this video clips from the time he said like fifty dates will kill me, because oh. he knew. And by the way, at that time and during the trial, uh, there'd be a trial break for lunch at eleven o'clock. Yeah. And uh, you know, Michael would come in for the day and be very spry. He would talk to his lawyers. He would go to the room upstairs at lunch, and he would come down a zombie. There's no question. They were they were shooting him up with whatever right. painkillers or sedatives. Like the drug issue was there during the trial. He took the stand for this, right? No, he didn't take the stand. No, I just saw so many pictures of him coming in and out that yeah. I just assumed that. No, and they had like an entourage walk they did every day. Okay, and I should did say, he seem healthy when he walked oh, in and out? Absolutely not. No, I mean it was kind of like like you're if you have like an uncle who worked in a factory all the time and now they can't walk. You know his back was very stiff. And, you know, if anything, I'm sure, like, the pain meds were f- so he could dance, right? 
Oh. It's like when you let's like when you shoot up like the football player with cortisol so they can work the knee for a couple hours. Right. And then they're back in pain. Yeah. And I should say so, I, I never saw Michael Jackson use drugs, by the way. Uh, but I'm just saying you can right. see his demeanor change. Right. And and I assume that you've you've seen this is it. Yes. Great movie. Yeah. He seemed like he was dancing great in this yeah. in this movie. Yeah. But you're saying you're you're assuming that that's temporary yeah. because of how he uh I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. Again, I'm not an expert on this, but some combination of painkillers, amphetamines, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, just like football players, you know, he could he could perform for the period he had to. Right. Uh, How long did this trial go on? Like four months, three months, maybe. So for three months, you were in San Maria. Yeah, five days a week. It was what, great. What did you do uh, for fun? Went to the the dunes. Uh, like nothing, because none of the reporters were my age, and I was very <laughs> awkward. You know, I, I couldn't afford a haircut, so my hair hadn't been cut since the previous year, and I had this, like, Prince Valiant shag thing. I mean, it was weird. But yeah, no, but it was a really amazing opportunity, and someday I will write the book. Let's go to talking about you being a producer. Yeah. Because uh, as we know, producer can mean a lot of things. Yes. What did it mean in your case? So I worked primarily on competition reality and game show. Okay. So competition reality can mean survivor. It can mean wipeout. It can mean shark tank. Right. By the way, I loved wipeout. Yeah. I I didn't work on that, but I have friends who did. Um, So I had, uh, I had, I had a couple other jobs. And then I was out of work. I worked for Spike Jones Jr., the son of the TV band leader with like the Chainsaw Orchestra. Okay. So Spike owned all the rights to music, and he also produced award shows. So I worked on the Creative Arts Emmys for him for a year. And he's like, hey, kid, I can't keep you. But uh, my, my friend Clay, he's working, he has a show Shark Tank, and he aired nine episodes. It's coming back. You can interview for this job at Sony. I'm like, I love Shark Week. So... <laughs> I drive onto the Sony lot. You thought it was Shark Week? I thought it was Shark Week. How funny I drive onto the Sony lot. Clay and his guy, Tim Beggy, who's amazing. He was on Road Rules, uh, Uh were there. I never liked Road Rules. I didn't like it either. All right, good. And he did like it. I'm just saying he had been on reality TV. He knew what he was doing. He was his development guy. About 10 minutes into the interview when I realized I have no idea what I'm talking about. And I bullshat my way through it. Plus... Clay is a huge Cowboys fan. His guy was a big Steelers fan. And I basically passed the lunch test with flying colors. How? Because I was like, I, we just talked about football half the time. But you're you're from Indiana. Yeah, but we have the Colts. I don't know if you know they won the Super Bowl one year against some team from some other Midwestern capital. I don't don't remember it at all. Yeah. I think I remember the, uh, the halftime show, though. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, <clears throat> but no, and so I was an assistant on Shark Tank. But, but what I'm saying is... You got a Cowboys fan as your boss. Yeah. How does being from Indiana uh, warm him up to you? Because he just liked that I could talk about it. Like, I see. I, I sold myself as like, yeah, I'm a guy you will spend 12 hours a day with. Well, because, th- you know, that's true because a lot of people in entertainment don't know about sports. No. Uh, but you, you just got to hang out with more editors, Tony. <laughs> Is that what I got to do? I swear to God, half of them are Eagles fans. I don't get it. There's some pipeline. <laughs> it's like Eagles fans in the edit bay. Which is fine with me because those are, those are real fans. <clears throat> For sure. Uh, but yeah, so, um, I, I worked on Shark Tank and what I would say is with competition reality, what you're really doing is you're working with the contestants. Okay. But 
producer, there's many types of producers, yes. even on Shark Tank. Yes. What what kind of uh, duties on an average day were you responsible okay, for? Okay, yeah, sure. So real quick info dump. Uh, Shark Tank is produced by producer pairs. And I'm not telling you anything on an NDA that I wouldn't tell that isn't on Reddit. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but so there's a producer and associate producer. The basic breakdown is the AP is logistics. The producer's story. Okay. Oh. But it actually crosses over a lot because you share an office and you work together. Right. So you, Tony, have a new invention, the Chicago Cubs hat that you can drink beer from. I like it. But the beer cans are upside down. It's novel. And so you have applied to the show. Yeah. You spoke to a casting producer. Then your casting tape was shown to the network and the bosses, and they said, this guy might be okay. You got assigned to me, the producer. So I'm going to talk to you on the phone for months, and I'm going to- This is you, you. Me, me. Okay. So, producer, producer, yeah, not and, AP. Correct. Okay. But it, we were on the calls together. Right. So we get assigned, a team might get assigned like 100 people over the course of the, the summer, Right. And some of them we cut after a phone call. Some of them we want to cut them and the bosses won't let us. You cut them because they're boring? They're could be a lot of things. It could be they're boring. It could be that we have another lemonade company we like better. Oh. You know, it could be we're like, this guy seems dishonest. Oh. Because you would think dishonesty would be good for TV, <laughs> but it's not good when the sharks make a deal yeah. and then they find out that you put a scammer in front of them. Right. Talent doesn't like that. Yeah. Uh, and so we would basically find out, it's like, okay, this is a big boring tech guy. And it's not visual at all, but he's for real. And if we want a million dollar investment, here's one. By the way, who was the talent? Uh, so uh, the original panel was Herjavec, O'Leary, Barbara, Damon, and a guy named Kevin Harrington. Then my second season was the first time Mark Cuban was a guest shark. And then Cuban came on and we also got Lori Grenier. And so that, and Harrington went away. So those were the six. Okay. Uh, but yeah, no, so I talked to you. Figure out what your story is. I cannot tell you what to say because we are dealing with a securities exchange on federal airwaves. Because this is real. SEC, FTC. These are <laughs> real businesses. Yes, yeah. And so the deal on Shark Tank is a handshake deal for a very good reason. You cannot do your due diligence on a business transaction in an hour. Right. Right. So they're sincere handshake deals, and they truly are. And the show is very beholden by what legal will allow because, you know, you don't want to go in front of the SEC. So yeah. it was a very authentic reality show because you weren't faking much. Yeah. And I would basically work with you to prepare you what you want to say to make you understand what your television experience is going to be. And my personal attitude was my first job was to protect them from the dehumanizing effect of television. Mm. That is not true of all producers. What year was this? I was an AP 2009, 2000, no, an AP assistant, 09, 08, 09, and then I was an AP on 10, 11, 12. So dehumanizing because social media had started to spring up? No, I, I just think that like if you go on television, you are giving up. Television is a lie because you chose to start the camera and you chose to turn the camera off. <laughs> and then you cut 200 more lies into it in the edit. Right. And that doesn't mean you're being dishonest. But they're still not true because they're edits. And, you know, people don't understand that can air on TV forever. They can watch what, you know, about half the people that would go on Shark Tank would walk out of the hallway and they wouldn't remember it. I had, I had participants where I had to say, you got a deal. Like, what? I made a deal? Yeah, you made a deal, man. Because it would black it out. Um, because it was, it was, it was so it, it's traumatizing intense. to be on the show? I don't want to say traumatizing, but you go in there and all of a sudden the lights are on. Yeah. 
these TV faces that are 50 inches on your screen are now six inches because they're, you know, 40 feet away. And, and you know, we say the lights, but the lights are bright as can they're be. Nuts. You might not even be able to see a lot of no. the people. And, you know, we talk about power, Michael Jackson. These are six people who live on a different planet than you. They understand money fundamentally as a different thing than you do. It can be very disorienting. And so part of it, that's boring TV if someone freaks out. So part of it was just building up their confidence. And really, you know, for me, Tony, I love talking to people from all over the country, just like you do. And yeah. so I really fell in love with these people. And I feel like my strength was that like someone that a real LA person might write off. I'd be like, no, this guy's authentic and he has one love and it's cheese waffles. <laughs> and, but that's beautiful. And it's like, man, go out there and talk about cheese waffles because this is your chance. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and I loved it. And so I also did the field packages, uh-huh. which brings me to a story I've never told before. Oh boy. I should say, I, hold on. You're an LA exclusive. No, this is an LA exclusive. And I will say, uh, okay. Have you ever seen the Donald Trump, Apprentice tapes where he's dropping N-bombs left and right? I have not. Neither have I. Ah. Do you know why you haven't seen those? Why? A 53-page NDA that everyone who ever worked on it signed. Oh. I signed that NDA 13 times on 13 different contracts, the exact same one. So I'm going to tell you a story that I am not asserting is true. Okay. I'm going to tell you a great story, though. Please be about Donald Trump saying the N-word. No, it's not. I'm not saying it didn't happen, but, you know, I'm not asserting this is true, but I'm going to tell you a story. Yes. So if you've ever seen shows like Shark Tank or Survivor, you know they do these home packages, right? And this is the first time I've ever done field like this. And my producer, who is now like one of my greatest mentors, was very tough on me. I was very nervous. But we're going to Bloomington, Indiana. Ooh. Down this, down I-65 from where I grew up. Uh-huh. And I'm very excited. And so, you know, we would fly the two producers, the camera guy, and a production coordinator back in L.A. would hire the other crew. We're flying from L.A. to Indiana. And, and your crew is uh, what? Like a sound guy, a camera, a camera guy, guy, and a PA. That's it? Yes. So like two grand a day. Correct. Now, on the trip previous to this, I dislocated my shoulder on an off day oh, no. by uh, stand-up paddle boarding at, uh, at, at the lake in Burlington, Vermont. Tony, when they tell you don't get on the board till you're five feet in water, they're not kidding because <laughs> sand underwater is concrete. Oh, uh, shit. And I pop my shoulder out. So I can't lift the gear cases. Uh, I need this PA. Yeah. We're flying west to east. We don't even get in until 9 o'clock. And I check my email. There's no fucking PA. Oh, no. So I call the production coordinator. He's like, what is this? like, oh, I'm having trouble finding a guy, but I think I got one. I'm waiting for him to call me back. Yeah. 11 o'clock, I get the kid's name. He says his name is, I, uh, I think it was Jake Miller. Okay. Actually, I know it wasn't, but I'm going to use a different name. Good. So he's like, Jake Miller. I'm like, oh, Jake Miller. Okay. That's cool. Thanks, Jake. Uh, I call him like, hey, man. 5.30 a.m. I can't load these cases. Meet me at the hotel. 5.30 rolls around. Guess who's not there? Oh, he's not Jake. There. Jake. And like, so I call him. Like, Where are you, Jake? And he's not answering his phone. So I, I get the hotel guy to call the other hotels. Like, yeah, I'm at the wrong hotel. And my boss is like fucking pissed at me. And she doesn't like me at this time anyway. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, Jake, just meet us at the first location. I'll load this. And I repop my shoulder. We get to the first location. <laughs> he can't find it. Jake! We get to the second location, which is at Indiana University, and now we have this worm from IU following us around because he thinks we're shooting, like, an infomercial at IU. He's never heard of Shark Tank? No, no one had. This is, like, season th- five, four. You know, okay. like, it was... it was, it was You're on real TV. Yeah, but season four is when it took off because that's when Cubans started being involved. So, right. uh, we <laughs> get to the second location. 
Jake doesn't show up till midway through the second location. I'm like, all right, man, I need crafty. Go get some. Okay. He doesn't come back. We go to the next location. He finally comes back. He's carrying the water. Okay. <laughs> we do this location. We have one more location to go to. And this guy looks like Elijah Woods, like broken clone. You know what I mean? He's like shaggy. He's squat. He's kind of funny. Really sweet guy. Yeah. We finally get to the fourth. Oh, and I was like, okay, Jake, let's go to the fourth location. Meet us there. Can I ride with you? No, you just loaded the gear. I have to sit on the gear. You cannot ride with me. Like, I don't have a car. Like, that's Walk. been the problem, huh? Uh-huh. So we get there. The day is almost over. My boss like isn't even talking to me because she's so annoyed that she didn't have a PA at a, at a four location field shoot is nuts. Is it? Like I tried to do two before and after lunch. So I'm sitting there like Jake. What? Uh, what are you doing in Indiana, man? Or no, I go Jake. Jake Miller. You know my favorite law and ethics teacher in Indianapolis. Oh, he drove down from Indianapolis. My favorite law and ethics teacher was named David Miller. You like related? Because you know in the Midwest. Anyone with the same name might be related, and you gotta ask. Yeah, he's like, uh, no, I'm not. I'm not actually from Indiana. It's like, oh, why are you in Indiana if you're not from here? He goes, oh, I went to, I went to high school here. It's like, that's interesting, Jake. Like, and again, like, I feel so bad for this guy. Like, I kind of don't want to sign his time card. It's like, well, where'd you go to high school? He goes, oh, I went to Park Tudor, and I shit myself. Not literally, but. Park Tudor, Tony, is the most expensive school in Indiana. Oh. There are Saudi princes who send their kids to live in Indianapolis to attend Park Tudor. This is, Buckley in LA is the equivalent. Right. Right. Like these kids drive Escalades to school. (laughs) And then I look at him and my vision flashes because I can't, it's so strange. It's like cosmic horror. Like everything goes wavy and reality ceases to exist. Because if you are from Indiana, you know that there was a child actor who actually went to school in Indiana because he did a little boat racing movie that uh, that filmed in Indiana. His parents heard about Park Tudor and thought it was very nice, and he wasn't doing movies anymore. So he went to go to Park Tudor, and his name wasn't Jake Miller. His name was Jake Lloyd, and he was Anakin Skywalker in Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. The little kid? Darth Vader is the worst PA in the world. I had his shadow poster on my high school bedroom. And then my next thought is like, you were in Star Wars. How do you not know what an Apple box is? I didn't say this. And he didn't tell me, but I saw it. Right. And I do have, I don't have it with me, but I have a picture. I like took like a surreptitious picture. Like I was pretending to call mom, you know, so I could prove it. And then I got home and I looked at his paperwork and his, his email address was like at a custom domain. And if you typed it in, it went to the Jake Lloyd Facebook page. Yeah. So like he left the trails for you to know. Right. You know, I don't know if you know, but later he had like a really tragic, like drunken police chase in North Carolina or something. Yeah. No, Star Wars broke him and he was a really nice guy. I don't want to denigrate him. You know, I don't know what he's up to now. And and so I get in the van and I'm like, guys, who the fucking was? That was Jake Lloyd. And like, you know, my Macklemore listening producer and her, like, WeHo camera guy was like, who? <laughs> Star Wars. Oh, like, like Patrick Stewart? Fucking guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. Look, you know. And uh, I've been sitting on this forever. <laughs> I've told it to people, but I never, like, told it in public. And uh, I don't intend to ever go working on another Mark Burnett show. Uh, but besides, it's just a story I told you. I don't assert the truth of it. Uh, I mean, but this makes sense. Yeah. Talent isn't going to be good at this. What is he doing in 
working on Shark Tank PA. It's got to be a girl. <laughs> no, I think, it, I think it might have been. And he'd had like his own like production imprint, like everyone who's that age does, you yeah. know, which is how they found him. Uh, so he's very nice. I did pay him. I wish I could have played Warcraft with him. I think we talked about Warcraft a little bit. Uh, and that was like, that's the kind of insane thing that would happen. What was your, uh, so on BattleBots, yeah. you don't go back to their hometowns. Uh, well, no, BattleBots was too cheap. So what we would actually do is tell them to film it and send it to us, and we would edit it. So what does a producer do on BattleBots? Yeah, so um, there's all these bot teams, and the pro- the challenge with BattleBots is you have to conform your production to a tournament that must take place over a number of days. So it's the the storytelling was very like reality TV, right? But the event coverage was more like doing an NFL game. Yeah, and all you know in the real robot combat world. They call you up like, all right, your fight's up next. And if your bot's not ready, they're just like, okay, we'll do the next one. Doesn't really work on a television schedule. Oh. Right. So on the first season, I mainly helped a producer coordinate these fights and figure out what's what. But on the second season, I wrote the host binder, 118-page host binder for the play-by-play guys. It was 59 robot fights I wrote the research for. You researched 59 robots? Well, no, 59 fights because it was a tournament. Oh, so you had to know both competitors. Both competitors. Then when they advance, I had to build the narrative. So I basically gave the play by I wrote the play by play guys narratives. And then I also worked with the stats team to incorporate the stats onto the board, which is a second job. Now when you say you write the narratives, mm-hmm. how long are these narratives? So I would do each fight is be a butterfly book, page per team. So Chris and Kenny could open up the binder. That's right. Chris Rose and uh Kenny from MMA. I'm so sorry, Kenny, you're such a nice guy, I forget your last name. Yeah. Um and so it would have the first section would be like prime story beats, right? Like original BattleBots champion, you know, sells electronics in Florida. He's invented a new spinner. So, so these these uh, announcers would look at this ten minutes before the yeah, and I would write it on. like a beat sheet, right? Know, like a bullet list. So they'd look at it, they'd be like, okay, I know a little something about it, and, yeah. and so it's like their their cheat sheet. And then I would also incorporate like four statistic hotlines they could drop in. Oh. Like, oh, that 30-mile-an-hour spinner coming at him fast. Or or it would be like they broke their axle last time and they had to borrow one from another team and it's not the right size. So how would you know all this? I would go talk to the teams in the pits. Or, For how long? Uh, just any second I could get away. And I, I just I had known them from the previous season, so you just kind of form a relationship. And to be honest with you, um, I was doing three jobs at once. And uh, the guys running the company, not the BattleBots guys, the guys running the production company, we're not good people. And I had a wedding I had to go to in the pre-production phase. And I'm in the LAX parking lot with my wife and a newborn baby. Maybe she's like a year. Uh, and my boss call, calling screaming because something wasn't working right. And you know, you're fired when you come back. I had an <laughs> honest, yeah. <laughs> come back and then you'll, come back, fix it. And, and then you'll yeah. be fired. And I'm supposed to be flying to like Tampa, Florida. And I had an honest to God panic attack breakdown sobbing on the floor of this parking lot holding a baby with someone screaming at me on the phone and uh it really broke my executive function i was never really the same at work after that be totally honest i'm on the max dose of sertraline it's a godsend that's zoloft uh and so that that was like the other real thing about hollywood because there's this toxic mentality that if you're not dying for your job then you're not doing it right right and so later when i worked at a digital company i made on set safety especially because it was non-union I made on set safety like my, my thing, and I 
have talked myself out of jobs because at the interview I'll be like, you should know, like set safety is like my thing. And, you know, when I do my daily speech about, you know, here's the fire, here's the fire exit. Don't trip on these cables that are breaking the rules, you know, da, da, da. You know, I'm also going to mention that harassment is a safety issue. Good. And that, you know, and by the way, you know, harassment is a safety issue. If you feel that someone has made you uncomfortable for any reason, stop the show and let me know. If you don't want to talk to me, Kate over here is the most senior woman. Go talk to her. Please tell us if we find out you've harassed someone, you're not coming back uh, because they don't do that. Right. And it's pretty much kind of why I stopped getting reality TV work because I would make noise when they weren't doing these safety meetings. Um, and anyway, so yeah, that was BattleBots. And I did that digital imprint thing. I did go back to Shark Tank and I got my final producer credit. Good. And I did a little crypto show. Well, then the pandemic happened. Let's, uh, we have to wrap up. Yes, of course. Let's talk about you and your beautiful bride. Yeah. How'd you meet? We met at a party. She was a pastry chef. I was unemployed. She dated, started dating me unemployed, living in Echo Park, going to see Indie Rock like five nights a week. Dude. <laughs> what a mistake she made. Well, but no, <laughs> okay, you can look at it that way, or you're the man. Yeah. You know what, Be, But this is why. They say that... The only value that men have is what can they bring to the table. Yeah. And when a man is unemployed, he's not going to get any. Uh, well, uh, so, what do you think she saw in you that you were bringing to the table? I think um, so. She's from Orange County and okay. she was going to pastry school in L.A. I think she just didn't know a lot of people. She'd also, I think, had had some previous boyfriends that had some kind of traditional notions. And I was not super pushy. You know what I mean? Again, like I... Traditional notions like... Well, just like, they, they were men's men. You know, they didn't talk about their feelings. Honestly, like our relationship problems, I want to talk about my feelings. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but no, so we dated for a long time. I was ready to get, to go buy a ring. And then I had an uninsured appendectomy. Oh. And they were like wheeling me in. I was like, here comes your ring. It's coming out. You got to wait a year. <laughs> and she really cared for me during that. Ah. And then, uh, yeah, so then we got married in 2012. Where? Uh, <laughs> the coolest reception ever. So um, my wife's family uh, came to the United States in 1975 during the fall of Saigon. So they lived down in Orange County where there's a huge Vietnamese population. Ah. And so Ma would not come to the wedding unless we did the Catholic wedding. Oh, okay. So we did it at her church. Are you Catholic? No. Well, my dad's family was Catholic. Okay. I, I, I think the lore is interesting. <laughs> Catholic lore. Well, you know, the Pope. Yeah, and I look. Anti popes are metal. I wish we had an. Can you imagine the news coverage if we had an anti pope? That'd be so fun. Um, and but then so we did the uh, we did the reception at Seafood World because the tradition in Vietnamese weddings is you go to a ten course Chinese restaurant in Garden Grove, and you don't get wedding gifts. You collect a pillowcase full of cash that will pay for the reception. Hell yeah! And you don't do open bar. You jam a bottle of liquor and a two liter of coke on every table. Cool. And so this this reception was one third, you know, Vietnamese first second generation immigrants, one third Hoosiers, and one third Echo Park 
Silver Lake Hipsters. Nice. And I got my friends, the Henry Clay people, to be the wedding band. Those are your friends? Yeah. Yeah, I know, Joey. They, they played all the time at uh, Space Lake. They did the, they did the New Year's show like three out of four days. Yeah. yeah. In my music blogging days. How and, about that? And they were kind of done. But I was like, Joey, I got a request. Play my wedding. I was like, okay. And so he got some of his other friends from the scene. Real quick, who yeah. else was in that circle uh, of indie rockers? Yeah, so... Um, I want to say Silver Sun pickups. Yes, so I came in when Silver Sun was getting on Indie 1031, uh-huh. and so people were looking at the next tier of bands that were opening for them. Yeah. Right, so this is when like the Silver Lake Lounge, the Echo, and Spaceland were the three Monday residencies. Yeah. And so you guys at Metro Mix, or Metro Mix would list a thing, LAist would list a... a a calendar. Joe Fielder ran a blog called Radio Free Silver Lake. Yeah. He would list a calendar. Uh, buzz bands. Buzz bands. Uh, Kevin Bronson yeah. is my guy. Yeah. I, I've covered Coachella for Bronson for a number of years Have on his you? website. Yeah. You ever play baseball with him? No, I don't I don't play baseball. Right. I'm not athletic, Tony. So. Oh, so Kevin sent you to Coachella? Ish. So well, I was going and he needed people to cover. There you go. So me, Kevin. But, but because of that, you got a press pass though, right? Yeah, absolutely. So me, Kevin, and Serafina Lafagma would all, we would cover almost all the sets. Right. And he would have, and it was great because we would go, we would see them, we would file as we went. We'd try to stay up so that they would go up like every three hours. Right. And it was so fun, you know, and, uh, but yeah. And then LA Underground, I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. He, he was like a mysterious guy. Yeah. And we would all yeah, it was a scene. Was... What about Los Angeles? Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. With those first. really good photos that they would take. Uh-huh. Oh, and Jeff Weiss, of course. Of course. Like the smartest guy in L.A. Love him. Coconuts was there taking pictures. Was he really? Uh-huh, God yeah. bless him. Koga was taking, like Koga would give me photos that he, they didn't use on the L.A.ist. He is such a great guy. I love Koga. Yeah. He took me, he, we saw the Henry Clay people in Vegas. I, I keep trying to get him on this podcast. He's too shy. Aw. And you know what he does for a living, right? Uh, yes, I do. He yeah. takes pictures of the girls. Yeah. So when Henry Clay people toured with the Airborne Toxic event, who I also That met, was the other one yeah. I'm thinking of. They uh, they played the Hard Rock the week of, uh, uh, what's the, the porn awards in Vegas? Oh, yeah. AVN. Right. So Koga had a room. Oh, cool. <laughs> and he's like, dude, come out to me. It's AVN. Henry Clay people are playing. So I went out to <laughs> Vegas and saw him play there. Uh. Okay, so they played yeah. at your wedding. They did play at my wedding. How great is yeah, that? Yeah, my mom sang the John Prine song, Donald Lydia, with them. Is she a good singer? She's fine. That's awesome. <laughs> it was really cool. And again, like, I love those boys. I, I, I've seen them now. I saw them in like seven different states and like 31 different venues or something. Yeah. It was really meaningful because that's the point where I didn't go to live music all the time anymore. Right. And uh, now we have two little ankle biters. How is uh, being a dad? I love it. It's my purpose in life. How old are you? I am 41 years old. Okay. So, and, and you've got these kids who are filled with energy. Yeah. At 41, is it is it hard to keep up with them? It is. Uh, <laughs> yes. Especially in the pandemic. Yeah. You know. Um, oh, I bet. Because you, you couldn't, you know, especially for the first couple of years, you couldn't take them anywhere. Right. You know, and. You could go to the park though, right? Yeah, we did go to the park. But it was just, um. It's hard, but what I found out is that I'm I'm a fine television producer, but I'm a home run dad. It is what I'm made to do. Yes! And it's really, like, I've been pandemic dad for three and a half years now, and I love it. I go to the, the school board meetings. Did you know that this was in you? A little bit. Like, I, I always, like, I knew I wanted kids when I was a kid. Right. I definitely knew, like, I married my wife, Cindy, because I knew she also wanted kids. I mean, mm-hmm. that's not why, but, like, you know, that was always part of the package. Yeah. 
And uh, it's great. It's cool because like you can make your own playmates. Like my daughter plays Hero Quest with me. <laughs> we do Mario Kart nights every Friday. Look at you. Me and the boy and the my are, daughter. Are you, are you the dad that loves to read uh, bedtime stories when they were littler? Who <laughs> I love to read bedtime stories. Yeah, I I give the greatest live rating of the Gruffalo that has ever been read. <laughs> my favorite food, the Gruffalo said. He'll taste good on a slice of bread. There you go. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I love that stuff. And I just, I love the opportunity to... This, 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 this is an important thing. So we're at a time right now uh, where the right to one's own body is under extreme duress. And I think, you know, we all know pregnancy is deadly labor, right? Pregnancy will change a woman's body chemistry forever. A child is more than an 18-year commitment. And the reason we want to protect people's body rights is because no one should have to do that. And I do think sometimes, though, on the right side of history, we downplay parenting because we don't want to encourage the people who want to compel people to be parents. Right. And in my mind, parenting is a, is a communal sacrifice. You know, Tony, do you have kids? No. Someone's going to change your colostomy bag. True. When you're older. And you didn't make that child. I'm making that child. Right. And, and, and that's not like a, a, a higher than thou thing, but it's like that's a thing that we need. We need to raise children and we need to raise children that don't want to be Nazis. Yes. Uh, and I really enjoy that part. You know, my daughter, uh, when she was four, understood trans identity. And if, if, if a boy at school is like, only boys have penises, she'll, she'll, she'll get kind of angry. She's like, what are you talking about? That's stupid. <laughs> and I really love that because I, you know, had negative perceptions when I was her age. Right. Right. And I love, it's not my personal redemption, but I love the ability to help build. It's not just that we have to leave a better world. It's that we have to leave people who will build a better one too. And it's, it's the only thing I'm good at. And I have a captive audience. They have to listen to my stupid stories. So, (laughs) well, I've enjoyed listening to your very entertaining stories. Thank you. Not stupid at all. (laughs) Uh, you're playing with these miniature... Oh, no. Uh, what would you call these? This is my shame pile. Uh, this is <laughs> Warhammer miniatures. Oh. So Warhammer is a tabletop war game. Uh-huh. Right? A The smallest... It's expensive and stupid. I play, like, the, the squad version. So I don't have, like, 500 guys on the table. I have six. And so these are for Warhammer Terrain. Oh. So I have some dollar store pallets. Yeah. That look like uh, whatever. They, ha- they, they they look like the pallets that we'd see on the, the back of a pickup truck. Yes. Uh, a stack of them. Except these you could fit in your hand. Yeah. Also on your table are, I think, a half Dudes. dozen Elmer uh, glue <laughs> yes. uh, jars. Some uh-huh. rubbing alcohol. <laughs> of course, one cat. Uh-huh. And a giant uh, container of water. Okay, so we've got... Uh, slime time with my kids. That's the Elmer's glue. My wife. Wait, you you make your own slime? Yeah. <laughs> my daughter is selling slime at her school business fair, so we had to make like Gax slime. <laughs> you make your own slime? Yeah, dude. You know how I do this? No. It's real easy. It's it's Elmer's glue, baking soda, and a little bit of contact solution. Like for for eye eye contacts? Uh-huh. Yeah. And that creates slime. Yeah, it does. And it, kids don't know this out there in the oh, world? Oh, no, they all do. There's, like, YouTube channels. So everybody's making their own slime? Oh, yeah. Th- that was, like, the thing, like, six years ago. Okay. On YouTube. And, and also, there, there's, it's also, like, an ASMR thing for, like, college girls. Like, college girls were really into making slime for a while. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's very satisfying to play okay, with. Okay, Ben. Yeah. You have to have your own podcast. Okay. 
You're just way too good at this. I, thanks. I, I I love it. I wish you're people... too good. You have too interesting of a life. We have we haven't even talked about your DVD collection, these little miniatures you have. You have a lot to to offer. Doctor Strangelove, Network, and There Will Be Blood is my American trilogy of films. Have you taken your kids to the Greystone Mansion? Uh, no, but they have been to the movie theater. We saw Mario. <laughs> but but what I'm saying is, is that bowling alley is oh yeah at yeah Greystone. yeah. No, I, I haven't yet. And, I, you know, I haven't done the Bradbury building either. I haven't either. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm bad. And I'm I used to work now. really close to it. Did you? Well, then you but it's it. a lot easier now that it's a blue bottle. Yeah. Well, no, thank you. I, I enjoy it. Anytime. I love going on to hear my own voice. Real quick. Uh-huh. When people are in North Hollywood, yeah. what should they make sure to do? Okay. It might not technically be North Hollywood. No, it's got to be technically North Hollywood. Okay, well, I think it is. Oh, it's on oh. My, I'm saying like it might technically You're right be sure on the if, edge. If, yeah, I'm okay. not sure. Uh, the Good Night Karaoke Bar on Magnolia <laughs> is the beating heart of the San Fernando Valley. Really? The Good Night K N I G H D. No, N I T E. N I T E. Even better. Yeah. So it's it's not private rooms. It's a single stage. Everybody hears you. It used to be locals. Super local. They did go under new ownership just before the pandemic, so it might have changed. Yeah. But I used to go there like four nights a week after the baby was asleep. Uh, I love the good night. Uh, what, hun- what, what were your songs? Oh, um, so I had when I so I would do karaoke on the road when I was doing field packages. So I have a repertoire of about thirty-two. Uh, <laughs> What's your hardest one? Uh, so they would say um, I can do Psycho Killer. Okay. I can do Sating So. And Weezer? I can do all these things that I've done by the killers off book. Like, I don't even look at the screen. Uh, uh, the first one, Psycho Killer. Yeah. From the album or from the uh, movie? So, the album is the karaoke joints have. Okay. I wish I could do the Stop Making Sense version at karaoke. It yeah. would be great. Yeah. And then I also, you know, my, my, my underdog hit, do you remember New Age Girl by Dead Eye Dick? Like 1995 or 6. No. She don't eat meat, but she show like the bone. <laughs> You'd know it if you heard it. That was like the hook. <laughs> but they would do it in like a radio box. It's like, she don't eat meat. That's a show like the bone. Yes. You know? Yeah. Uh, it's a great little like power pop three minute rocker. You know, I, I love that kind of stuff. But I love karaoke because people bear their souls to strangers. Yes. And once you understand that no one learns to sing a song in public unless that song means something to them. Right. And if you celebrate them when they're on stage, you've got a friend for life the next time you see them. Yes. Well, this has been a pleasure. Thank you, Tom. Thank you so much for inviting me over. Absolutely. We were going to do it at my house. I'm so glad that you changed me your too. mind. Because I, I forgot that this was the cat house. Yeah, it's the cat house. And and so hopefully you'll be able to share some photos with me, some videos so totally. that we can put up on the, the blog. And um, you got anything to plug? <sighs> Hire me to write things. <laughs> no, okay. No, would, I don't. What would you like to write? You know, um, I really actually, what I really loved is uh, I love when I got to do kind of like talk panel shows. Okay. So when I was at Nerdist, we had a couple shows like The View. Yeah. Right. I love prep for those kind of shows. And I do also write jokes. Like we, we had a game show and like my favorite gags were like, it was kind of like at midnight where the game didn't matter. So we would do things to decide who goes first. Right. And it'd be like, guess how many slices of pizza I stuffed in this carafe. Ooh. Right, you know, like that kind of stuff is fun. Uh, no, I don't really have anything to plug. I would say um, go vote, donate to trans organizations, and uh, TNR your cats with fixnation.com. Are there any websites? Uh, yeah, that... I've benmcshane.net. 
Okay. I'm also at TV Ben on all the things at T double E V double E Ben. You can find me on Blue Sky getting horny on Maine. Are you? I I I. I don't know anything about Blue Sky. All I'll say is, of all like the Twitter replacements, it's the first one where whole Twitter communities have relocated. Oh, like the L.A. Austin film Twitter. They, yeah, they're all there talking there too. It's the first time where I thought, oh, this one might stick. Yes, but it's also like all about like Jake Tapper is is skeeting about Alf's penis. So <laughs> if like Jake Jake Tapper does not GAF on there, so he's. Like shit posting with the rest of us. I love it. It's great. Anyway, Ben, God bless you. Thank you, Tony. How great was Ben? You know who would also probably have a kick ass catio? Our Patreons. When you stoke us, you're saying, Tony Jordan, how cool you introduced us to Ben. Take our money. So shout out to our Patreons Nancy Rommelman, Sean Atlow, Matt Mills, Sean Wallace, Greg and Molly, Jamie Taylor, Mark Johnson, Kira Ann, Barney Grinke, Ben Welsh, Jen Adams, Trevor Wilson, Bree Wild, Dougie Gyro, Christina Up North, Robin Carey, Adam Shorn, Ben from Down Under, Chris from the ATX, and Gregor. To be a Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash here in LA and give until it hurts you in the Also, shout out to our Angelinos. To be an Angelino, all you got to do is PayPal or Venmo, 25 bucks or more, and we will list you on the Here in LA website or Medium blog forever. Special shout out to our newest Angelino, Sean Atlow. Merci beaucoup. Just send your hard-earned cash to busblog at gmail.com. Want to support us, but you're part of the WGA writer strike? You can still help. Post your favorite episode on your Facebook. Ooh, post too. Tweet something nice about this. In fact, anytime you see us tweet about an episode, retweet it. And for God's sakes, tell your friends. Tell them how Here in L.A. is spelled, and that it's on Apple Podcasts and Google and even Spotify. Here in L.A. is produced by myself, Tony Pierce, and a man who not only loves cats, his name is Cats, Jordan Katz. Editing, mixing, and music supervision by Jordan Katz. Songs by Orgone and Jordan Katz. Special thanks to Cindy for creating the logo, Jen for inspiring this, and moms and dads who are loving raising the next generation. Thank you, Patriots! Patriots.